Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. When someone commits a crime, they should have to pay the price. Do the crime, do the time. That's the old saying. But what about the families of prisoners who are greatly affected mentally, socially and materially by the imprisonment of a loved one? Well, facing loss of income, social isolation... Well, the families of prisoners can suffer, often not knowing where to turn to and worrying about what will happen next. The children of prisoners are the forgotten and innocent victims of crime. They, too, end up serving a sentence. And every child of a prisoner faces a different situation. Sometimes they'll have a parent to look after them, but other times they'll end up with grandparents or they'll end up in state care. Wherever they end up, they are certainly facing change. They're feeling hurt. They are confused. Well, we're going to talk through some of these issues today, and you'll be welcome to be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316 as we open up our talkback lines. Our special guest is Helen Glanville. Now, Helen has worked for 20 years uh, with prison advocacy, including nine years as the Executive Director of Prison Fellowship in South Australia. And Helen is CEO of a Christian ministry called Second Chances SA. We're going to talk about children and prisoners today. Children, the forgotten victims of crime. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. And a special welcome to you, Helen Glanville. Hi there. Hi there, Neil. How are you going? Very well. Helen, we spoke once before and it was a short conversation, but I was so inspired by some of the things that you were talking about in a short conversation. Uh, I remember saying to you at the time, uh, we need to explore a whole lot more of what you do. Second Chances SA, you're the CEO, you and your husband have had a really uh, primary driving force uh, behind the organisation that's functional there in Adelaide and South Australia. Uh, Just give us a quick uh, description, an in a nutshell description of what Second Chances SA does. Well, Second Chances is a new charity in South Australia. It's exclusive to South Australia, but we're we're happy to consider expanding nationally. Um, We've been operational for two years, but prior to that with a national organisation for 20. Um, I married my husband while he was in prison, so we go way back. And uh, we've been in the space, however, with children and families now for um, uh, eight years. Um, coming yeah, nine years in October and we really believe in second chances and second chances spiritually and, and from a Christian perspective is the grace message because we've been given so many second chances from a loving father but what we do is just uh, re- reaffirm the value and dignity of a child to them by acknowledging their birthday for example we move anything between 20 and 30 birthday presents a month and we have them delivered by Christian Motorcyclist Association just so that the child uh, is remembered and doesn't feel forgotten and it's the same for Christmas we take over 500 uh, presents into into six prisons in the state 
and uh, that's for the family to come together. So we want to reaffirm to the child that they are not forgotten and that they are loved and that someone cares for them and that then we take them out on PK, what we call PK. PK stands for Prisoner's Kids, PK Mentoring Camps. We're now conducting 10 camps a year because at those camps we teach them values, values such as trust and honesty and respect and manners and as well as some dynamic physical activity. But in the mix, our PK mentoring leaders are also speaking life into their thinking and that they can make good choices for themselves. And that also includes they can make a choice to follow Jesus. So there's a holistic approach um, to, to what we do because the child is in a state of feeling uh, abandoned there's a sense of false guilt. Why did daddy or mummy leave me? Was it my fault? And they feel isolated often because they're the only one in their classroom that has a parent in prison. And unfortunately, the word can get out and that's when sometimes the bullying can begin. So if a child feels odd, awkward, um, and then bullied to top it off, they're in a very difficult position and research shows that the moment a parent goes away to be incarcerated, the grades start to go down mm. and teachers watch this. So we work closely with about 30 schools here in South Australia where teachers will call us in. We have um, family care workers and uh, we've been in this space, as I said, for eight years. So we have uh, over 600 children on our database and um, it's growing. So we get referrals from schools and from a lot of other organisations where they know that we specialise just in reaching the specific needs of these children. Well, Helen, I want to honour you because you do such an amazing work. Now, let's clarify some things here too because sometimes when we think of prison ministry, we're thinking of chaplains, chaplains who go into prisons and befriend and uh, mentor and get alongside prisoners, but uh, you're not chaplains. What's the difference between your volunteers and what perhaps chaplains ordinarily do? Okie dokie. Um, well, the truth is we don't want to be chaplains. Um, in our state, and it could be different in other states, um, our state means that if you're a chaplain, you go into a prison and you fly the flag for your respective denomination. Uh, that's fine. Um, second chances, we're interdenominational. We have 13 in-prison volunteers who go into their particular prison every week and befriend people, but they also do practical help, such as banking and storage of property, maybe contacting their lawyer or their families, things that actually mean a great deal when you've got no choice and no power and no capacity to do anything about your daily affairs. Um, so we are just called in-prison volunteers and um, where we don't have any... We can move around the prison, we're, prof we're seen as professionals, but we respond to written requests for help. So the imprisoned parent can request a birthday present for their children, they can request um, Christmas presents, as well as can you help me with my my banking or can you store my property? And that, especially at 
the remand centre. It's a very critical time where they've just landed. They have no idea what the court is going to do with them. Uh, they don't know if they're going to get off because they're innocent till proven guilty. Uh, they don't know if they've got a sentence to face. And, and they're just stuck in limbo. Their lives are on hold. And we come along and listen to them. And uh, if they want to talk, they can talk. And then if they keep talking long enough, we might say, well, would you like us to pray for you? <laughs> so uh, we do things on a relational basis. We don't do things just in a chapel. Uh, having said that, um, we do work alongside chaplains and we have got a great relationship here with our principal chaplain and we contribute to the preaching roster um, twice a month on two um, country prisons, namely Cadell and um, Mobilong. That may not mean much to the rest of the world, but uh, it's all adding up and it all helps and we work together and we have a very big kingdom view of uh, everyone working together. And, of course, those who are listening to us today in Adelaide and in South Australia will know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but, of course, there are a lot of communities where there are prisons. And so lots of listeners, no matter what state or territory you're in, you might be living near a prison. Do you find, Helen, that when someone is serving a sentence, that families tend to move closer to where the prison is, where their loved one is serving? Is that... Uh, is that a uh, is that the normal thing? No, not, not in our not in our state. There's such a high turnover and transfer rate. Uh, our state has a, has a problem with what they call bed space management, and um, people are being shifted. Um, the average length of a sentence is six years, so you divide that into maximum, medium, and minimum, and um, you might spend two years in a maximum security and get shifted to medium security. And if you're a good boy or girl, well, in the, in, mostly in the boys' cases, um, get moved to then a low-security prison. So uh, the families can't keep up. Uh, most families wouldn't be able to afford that kind of shifting. Um, no, that, that's just not normal. Not at all. <laughs> Let's talk about Christians and their attitude to prisoners because we can read... Uh, and one particular passage comes to mind uh, in Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats, separating the sheep and the goats. And uh, in one particular part of uh, his separation of sheep and goats, he says, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. There is a certain a call to association uh, with people who are serving a prison sentence. What have you noticed, Helen, about Christian people and their attitudes to prisoners? Is the attitude typically, well, you know, as, uh, as we were saying, you know, well, uh, if you do the crime, you've got to serve the, the time. Uh, what about attitudes? How have you found people reacting to prisoners? Well, I can talk about myself uh, to start with. Um, at the ripe old age of 20, I was a self-righteous religious git and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with criminals. And then three weeks later he proposed and I said yes. So there's a bit of a flip there. But I think it's only when a member of your family or someone maybe in your church community has a brush with the law that you start to really deeply think about the implications. And so I think we serve a God of grace and a God of mercy However, I'm with you. If you do the crime, you do the time. One of our values here is tough love. So if you're going to break the law and the judge says this is your sentence, you just have to cop it sweet and do your time. 
it's really about um, the big brother, what I call the older brother syndrome. Um, we have the story of the prodigal son and the older brother is a bit envious that why did he get the celebration party? Why did he get um, the new the new shoes and the, the ring on his finger and, and the, the new lamb on the spit and the whole shooting match? What's this celebration about? This guy's completely squandered his inheritance and I've been the good boy here at home. And, um, of course, the father says, but I thought my son was dead, you see. And so we in the church, we as Christians, need to have the father's heart, the father's heart that says, I want all my children to come home. I want, because there's many prodigals in prison. And it isn't that difficult, really, to get caught up in the wrong crowd, um, spiked with some drugs or alcohol, whatever the, the thing is happening in the group, and actually commit a crime. It's not difficult for you to murder your wife. You could easily push her over and... It may not have been intentional, but she hits her head in the wrong place and she's she's dead. And it's not difficult to get behind the, the wheel of a car and, you know, hurt someone se- severely through the weapon of your motor vehicle. Um, and it, you could, it was no doubt the wrong place at the wrong time and all those other factors that come into it. But at the end of the day, I think we're all capable of breaking the law no matter whether we consider it to be minor or major. And I think we have to be um, mindful that it's a merciful God who wants to forgive the prodigal. It's a merciful, loving Heavenly Father that wants us all to come home. And we have to remind ourselves that some of the best operatives throughout biblical history were the murderers. So have a look at Moses, have a look at David, have a look at Paul. Um, they had murder in their background. And uh, if they had form and they went for a police check, I don't think they'd actually get into too many churches today. So we have to uh, think of it from God's perspective. It is an important perspective to think about. And as you say, uh, there is a sense in which we could all have a self-righteousness about the way we think about prisoners. Uh, But to reflect on the words of Jesus, uh, there is an expectation that whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, when we talk about the children of those prisoners, and we talk about them as being the forgotten victims of the crimes that are committed, this is where you really begin to shine, Helen, because uh, the government, as I understand it, doesn't keep, and this might be South Australia, I'm not sure what happens in others, but I've, uh, in the bit of uh, research that I was doing about your uh, organisation, the government doesn't keep records of the children of prisoners, and yet they are actually more likely to commit crimes because their parent has been serving a jail sentence. Reflect on children and the way that they follow after their parents. Well, we don't have a federal prison system, so the federal government would not see it as their responsibility to record who the children of prisoners are. Um, The prison jurisdiction is looked after by each state government and in most cases they do not ask a mother or a father on admission to prison, whether they're on a remand or being sentenced. They don't ask, who are your dependents? They started that in South Australia in one prison that I'm aware, but the reality is um, 
there's no sense of, well, that's on the other side of the fence. That's not our jurisdiction. We're looking after this particular person to keep the community safe and for him to execute, you know, finish his sentence. Um, this is where we say the children are falling through the cracks. Um, there is no government, whether it's federal, state or local, that has any record, complete record, of who these children are. And yet it's the children of prisoners who are seven times more likely to go to prison than any other cohort in the community. But that's if you're Caucasian. If, however, you are Indigenous and you have children in South Australia, they're 21 times more likely to go to prison than anyone else. In Western Australia, it's 24 times. And it's definitely 20 and above for every other state. I haven't memorised all the percentages, and that research information can be found on our website. We have a, a research page there. Um, there's research that has been done about Indigenous children of prisoners. So... They're a special group that, uh, because our prisons, right across the board, in general, 25% of the prison population is Indigenous. So we have to be mindful of these factors because these children are tomorrow's prisoners if we don't intervene and intervene early. And that's why we do the 10 camps per annum because we want to divert these children from detention. And you would, of course, remember all the fanfare and the outrage and the media attention to detention centres in the Northern Territory, then mm. I think there was an episode that blew up in regarding detention centres in Queensland and so forth. So if we can keep them out of detention, um, we're doing good. If we can keep them out of crime, we're doing well. If we can keep them in school to complete their schooling, uh, truancy leads to petty crime. There is absolutely no doubt about that. It's been proven. Uh, it's not rocket science. If, ch if a child completes their education, they then have some more choices for the foundation of their life. But invariably, the mother or the caregiver doesn't have a care about education because they didn't complete theirs. Um, and in that community and that their associates and the, the like can be the drug and, and alcohol influence. Um, there isn't necessarily under that roof someone who gets up and goes to work every day and role models work ethic. So what I, what I say when I go out and speak at church groups and rotary clubs and the like is I try and shock middle-class Australia by saying, look, when you raised your children... You presumed every other mum and dad were teaching them to be honest. It doesn't necessarily happen in these families. Um, you taught the golden rule. Now, in some cases, the golden rule has been removed from schools. Well, what's the golden rule, some people ask? Well, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And so if that's been removed from our schools and other basics like respect for authority... Um, I was raised in a strict, loving, well, strict Christian home, very strict, um, whereby it was imposed upon me, you must respect your teachers, you must respect the police and anyone in authority. Um, in these families, it's not so. Mm. And so we in our middle classness presume that other parents are teaching their children to be honest and to respect authority. Two simple basic things. 
And uh, if you're a lover of history, you'll know that Karl Marx said that if you want to conquer a nation, you just blockade the transfer of values from one generation to the next. That's all you've got to do. So from one generation to the next, if a basic value such as respect for authority and manners and respect for other people um, is just removed, then you, it's one step further towards chaos. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Helen Glanville. Helen is CEO of Second Chances SA. We're talking about the children of prisoners, the forgotten victims of crime. Helen, if we talk about the prisoners and how this relates to their children, most prisoners are completely unchurched. Uh, how do you uh, see the way that that unchurchedness, A, makes an opportunity, but also if it goes unchecked, uh, those children are in real trouble for their future? Well, that's right. Uh, prisoners are mostly unchurched. Um, the only way they know the name of Jesus is by cursing. And um, the children know nothing about Sunday school. So it's all foreign. It's what's important in terms of demonstrating love is to do love, uh, demonstrating care, demonstrating that um, we are no respecter of persons, that um, all our services uh, are available without prejudice. So we used to say, no matter the crime, colour or creed, but it's uh, not, the way, not the language you use today. But the point is that it doesn't matter. Um, that's who we are. We have to just make ourselves available to whoever wants to come you see there are some people who don't want help that's right and that's their choice and that's the beauty of choice um, father in heaven has given us choice so there are those that want to do it their way and and that's really the main the root cause um, of all crime is selfishness and pride so they're in there because they think they can do life without any help or needing to ask for help but those that finally come to their senses, and notice how I've just used a biblical phrase there, but those that finally come to their senses um, and ask for help, we're there for them. To be quite frank, we're not interested in helping anyone unless they've actually come to that point. We're wasting our time, they're wasting our time, and so um, we, w we want to work with those who've come to that place of turning around. That's the place of repentance. And there's an interesting uh, correlation here because those who want to turn, you would assume, are people who are there by divine appointment, that God is doing a drawing work in the heart uh, by the Holy Spirit. And then the connection comes to uh, your team of ministers. And so you're, you're on the right track with people that God has set up as that appointed base. Is that the case? Well, yeah, it's a very subtle thing. It's a slow thing. It's a relational thing. So we might be, you know, planting seeds in the remand centre and then they move along to another prison and hear the gospel in chapel and then they move along to another prison and they meet other Christian prisoners, you see. So we're all part of this uh, mosaic, if you like. And then when they're ready and when they come to that place of contacting us, can you help us on my release with accommodation. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So it is um, a big step of swallowing pride just to ask for help. 
for, for most prisoners. And getting people onto a, a fresh start, a new future, is not an easy process. In fact, uh, I mean, in fact uh, prison chaplains have to be pretty tough people, but you've got to have pretty tough people doing what you do too, uh, working with children. We're just a, a minute out from news. Just a, a quick reflection on the sort of people that are already volunteers in what you do, Helen, because uh, they have to have a, a pretty a strong constitution to be able to deal with uh, some of the tough kids that they've got to deal with. Well, yes, um, we engage to do home visitation. We do engage Christian social workers and counsellors. Um, so it's not like they haven't seen it before. We, we look for people with discernment. And if you haven't got discernment in this ministry, you've lost before you start. Helen, as we talk about children, the children of prisoners, what is it that criminologists are saying when they do their research about prisoners and children and the way that uh, children, in fact, do follow in the the footsteps of their parents? Uh, What about criminologists? What sort of research is coming out? Well, they're saying that um, they're seven times more likely to go to prison than any other cohort of children in the community. And Indigenous are um, 20 plus percent, 20 more times to go to prison than any other group in the community. Um, They're observing that no one seems to be taking responsibility. Um, And so it's a bit like when we're raised around, say for example, if we were raised in a fruit and veg shop, we get to understand fruit and veg because that's the atmosphere and the arrangement that we have, you know. So you you follow those who are around you. And when there is no positive male role model, um, they have no guidance, they have no moral compass. In fact, it's just the reverse. So um, it's like a computer, garbage in, garbage out. So if the first 10 years of your critical development in your life, you are repeatedly told that you're scum, you're good for nothing, you'll end up in prison like your old man, Uh, you start to believe the lie. Come around 10 or 11, you think, well, you you mightn't even think. You just know somehow or other that message just seeps deep into your spirit and you act out. You start to walk in the curses. You start to walk in this, if you like, self-fulfilling prophecy because you've believed everything. Um, Those that are around you have told you, you're just like your old man, you're going to end up there and you're no good. So, Helen, for Christians, if you're thinking about what sort of difference does it make if I were involved in some level of prison ministry, you're actually into a ministry of crime prevention because a young life that is rescued, a young life that has a different mentor, a young life that has an influence that's going to point them in a direction uh, where they can get their lives on track and not follow in and uh, in this, you know, in the case of uh, you know, following in a parent's footsteps, well, then you are actually doing a rescue mission, aren't you? Absolutely. We're doing a rediversion. Uh, we call it uh, diverting PKs from detention. If we can divert them from their, they're already geared and they're already set up to go to, straight to detention in the sense that the only, um, the only images that they have, the only um, guidance that they have is negative. And so it's critical to get in early. So that's why we can take children away on a camp at the year at nine, and and we speak into their lives and we follow them up and we do all of those things. Um, the one thing that I haven't mentioned, which is really critical, that 
80% of all crime is drug and alcohol related. And so when guys go to prison, they're fine when they're not on their stuff. It's often fueled by what they're on. Whatever's, whatever the God is in their veins is what will dictate their behaviour. And most of that is out of control. They don't think. But the children see that. So we like to teach them how it's important not to get involved in drugs and alcohol because that is often the fuel that uh, stirs up the anger or stirs up the mental condition to then break the, the law. So there's all that world of... Um, it's insidious, um, it's secretive, it's manipulative, it's deceitful. Uh, there's this world where those of us in our you know, upright, middle, law-abiding um, middle class, we, we just don't think that there's this underbelly, if you like, that's swirling around in the life of a child because the child goes to school but has no, no backbone or emotional support back at home to say, Johnny, you can become whatever you want to become. You know, so they just go to school for something to do, not necessarily with a goal in mind. So we even do vision casting for them. Yep. So children do not choose their parents. And let me come back to something we began to talk about just before the news. And uh, this is always the tough thing to talk about because uh, while we're talking about uh, children being the victims of crime and because they don't have the sort of uh, functional uh, family background that many of us actually can identify with, uh, there is a sense in which they are a dysfunctional uh, children growing into teenagers and and if we're being if I'm being completely blunt here the children are not nice kids uh, and uh, and so you need a special mentor to to draw alongside and uh, and put up with a whole lot of stuff in order to express that tough love that might divert these children as you say uh, divert them from where they are into uh, to doing something worthwhile with their life uh, mm. tell me about uh, the children and you know I mean it's it's tough working with these children isn't it well, that's why you need a calling. Um, you, you see the goodness, you see the potential, you see that they haven't had a good start. And so that's why the power of words is amazing. The power of encouragement is amazing. The power of sitting down with a child and talking about, well, what do you really want to do? You know? And instead of looking at the obstacles, look at, what is it that you'd really want to do with your life? Because every child has giftings deposited into them. And we try to stir that component. And they could be very uh, manually dexterous. So they might want to go down the pathway of carpentry or electrician or whatever. So we, nothing's impossible. So we, we talk to them in their terms and say, well... You know, if you complete your, your, finish your school, then you can go on and do this and then you can become that. And so this is where it's so critical. It's not just one professional person talking like that. It's a whole team. So when they go to camp, for example, and there are other children who also have a parent in prison, they then feel that they're accepted, that they belong, that they're of value, and that's the richness of these mentoring camps, that they're not just the one-off kid with a dad in prison. 
everyone on camp has a dad or mum in prison. You know, so they form new friendships of support as well. And Helen, when you talk about a calling, uh, there is something deep and significant here because when we talk about this sort of diversion, uh, this mentoring, this care that comes from the church as part of community support for prisoners and families and especially uh, looking at their children today, uh, the church is primarily uh, poised to have a real impact here. But I wonder whether you can reflect for us on whether you think uh, Christians are at a point of maturity where they recognise the need for actually being involved and can they actually see that there are some amazing outcomes that can happen if there is some input at the start, if there is that mentoring, if there is a drawing alongside uh, children. Uh, Mm. What what is it Mm. about this calling? And I suppose this is something that you can't rely on a broader community to do because you do need a calling to be a part of this sort of ministry. Absolutely. And so that all our camp leaders... Uh, are trained in the, in that area, but let me talk to you about the church. We've identified about half a, half a dozen youth groups uh, in a geographical range of where some of our children are, where they're growing up into becoming junior teens, if you like, and if they've shown an interest in Christian things, we'll 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 check out the most vibrant, dynamic youth group in the area and have a chat to the youth leader and see if they would come around this this person and embrace them into their youth group that's one foot into the church and that's a very critical uh, stepping stone and we have a situation with one girl who is is dynamically involved in in church she's there every morning and every night now and yet she was completely unchurched but she came into us through the camps and then we linked her to a dynamic youth leader who took her under a wing and and from there, one thing leads to another. And so it's, it really is a case-by-case situation because these are children. We need to seek parental uh, permission. You know, we need to follow it by the book and check out if the caregiver. The caregiver, of course, can be um, a, a grandmother or, or a mother. And if they're happy for their son or daughter to attend um, a youth group, as a result of having met a group of Christians on a camp, that's the next step through, you see. So it's step by step. We are, sorry, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You're welcome to be part of our conversation today as we talk about children as the victims of crime. Let's take a call from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hi. Um this is something very, very much on my heart. Um, I really, uh, really applaud you. Um, I've forgotten your name. Helen. Helen. Helen, yes. Um, I used to be involved with uh, youth care and counselling. That's many, many years ago. Uh, we took children from, or teenagers from the courts, and exactly what you were saying, took them out on camps and whatever. And they absolutely, you know, they were, they were given an option, either go to a religious camp or else, um, you know, some other penalty or whatever. So they would say, eh, religion, you know. But when they um, came with us, we took them on camps. We had chapel every Sunday. Um, they just loved it, and they thrived because it was a family atmosphere. People that loved them gave them a chance at life. And then um, later on, I um, got involved with um, some prison ministry myself. Firstly, when a friend uh, found himself in jail, and then afterwards I um, visited 
a couple of men and uh, you couldn't get anything more different than these two men. One was absolutely non-repentant, um, you know, um, just lying and whatever. The other one was so repentant and he was really insecure about how he would go when he got out. And the problem was when he got out is that, you know, his old friends would inadvertently involve him in some of their crimes. They would use his car or something like that. So he had to cut off all of that. So they really need support and they need Christians. I mean, that's really what church is really about. Um, And, you know, God, as you said before, God uses people that are weak and we're all guilty. We're all, um, we were all sinners and, you know, there's a fallacy. Rick Joyner points it out. There's a fallacy of Christians who believe that they're now righteous because they're not doing any of these bad things. But, you know, we all have to be um, daily, daily um, checking ourselves because even pride and self-righteousness can come in. These are people, and, uh, you know, God is in restoring and using people to, glor- uh, to do his work as yeah. the Bible characters um, are. Robin, great thoughts. Uh, your response, Helen? Well, God is in the restoration business, yes. and uh, people need hope. And before prison or before detention, a child or an adult is already in a state of hopelessness. And so when they go to prison or detention, there's even more hopelessness. What's, what's ahead for them? And so we, we give hope, hope for a new future, hope for a new life, and a choice. So the camps provide that, um, our visitors provide that, and our God provides that. Just like we're coming up to Easter and Jesus is on the cross, and there were two criminals either side of him, one repented, one didn't. And it gets back down to choice. But if we provide the vehicle and the opportunity for people to hear and see a demonstration of love and see how his love works in practical, real terms, um, it's, it's going to cause people to come to that place of making their own decision for the Lord. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Helen Glanville is our guest. She's CEO of Second Chances SA. We are talking about children as victims of crime. And uh, you are welcome to be a part of our conversation. We are, though, uh, drawing uh, too close to uh, the close, perhaps for uh, long calls. But if you'd like to participate, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 Let me just pick up on uh, some of the motivation for what you do, Helen, because uh, just a couple of years ago, there was a couple of Aussies on death row and uh, and you were inspired by those two because there had been a dramatic turnaround in their lives. Tell us the story of that motivation. They were wretched, um, serious international drug dealers and they didn't have a good name for themselves whatsoever. But one found faith and radically turned around and completely changed the atmosphere of the prison as a result. And he was being mentored and there was uh, a ministry team from Melbourne that would fly into that prison on a regular basis. And he then became like the pastor of the prison and the whole atmosphere was changed, as was uh, the other gentleman who took up art and was teaching art to the other. They changed the prison because their own hearts had dynamically changed and they were transformed. The thing that I believe is in the psyche of every Australian is that 
We do believe in giving people second chances when we see that they have turned around. And I know for a fact that I heard it on secular media that when those guys had turned around and Australia was calling for their mercy, for them not to be executed, the media was saying, look, if they just came back to Australia, we, Australians, would give them a second chance. And I believe that that is very much uh, deep into the psyche and the culture and the DNA of every Australian. That when we see someone turn around and and turn their back on the past and they want to move forward, I believe we're a country of second chances. And I I, I just sense that. That's who we are as Australians. Um, We'll help the underdog if he wants to get up and help himself and whether that's with God's help or on his own steam, we want to see people turn around. We want to see them changed. And for Second Chances SA, we don't want kids going into detention at all. We want to stop them from becoming future prisoners. And we believe what we're doing does just that. And, of course, uh, we were talking about Myron Sukumaran and yes. uh, Andrew Chan, uh, yes. those two who were executed uh, in Bali. Hmm. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's just uh, talk again about the values and the sort of character that you need for people who are actually involved in the sort of drawing alongside kids, uh, the sort of people who are going to be father figures and mentors to these kids because Mm. this is an area I think that you'd like people to respond because there's always a need for more of these mentors. I know you like to talk about fat people. Uh, What's so special about fat people? Well, they're faithful, available and teachable. Okay, faithful, available and teachable people. So uh, it's not about fat shaming. It's not about talking about overweightedness, but it's about faithfulness, availability and teachability. Those are the sorts of people that you want to be on your team. That's right. And can I say that whilst we do know for a fact that the children of prisoners are falling through the cracks as far as the government's concerned, um, some of the guys in prison are still children. Um, they haven't matured. I don't know if you appreciate this, but men do mature later than, than females. And some guys don't grow up till they're about 35. And they don't come to their senses and they think to themselves, what have I done with my life? So there's still the child inside the male body that needs a dad, that needs someone, because they were often abandoned as children. So there's the child that needs to be ministered to and reached by the Heavenly Father through perhaps a fat, a faithful, available, teachable, mature Christian with life's experiences. So we look for semi-retired people, retired people who have a heart to share their life's experiences but be like a father and speak positively into people's lives. Now, Helen, similar ministries to yours. Uh, For those listeners in South Australia today, uh, connecting with Second Chances SA is an option, secondchances.org.au. Are there similar ministries around the nation that are doing the sorts of things that you do, looking after families, looking after children? Um, Not as far as I understand in terms of the holistic, the full approach that we do. Um, I know that there might be a camp here or there. There might be Christmas presents, of course. Um, but in terms of following through, it almost like case management. And the other aspect I haven't even told you about is we also provide school uniforms and shoes because the Turnbull government 
um, cease to continue the um, back to school bonus. And we're now at a point where we're actually going to local government and saying, look, we've got so many kids in your, your precinct. Could you help us with a community grant? Because um, kids are struggling and they need, the in order to stop truancy, you need to give them dignity by clothing them properly rather than having tatty, ragged school uniforms and shoes with holes in them. Helen, that's not the only good thing you do and uh, we've run out of time but you also do whole packages of furniture when prisoners come out of prison. So uh, some wonderful work that you're doing and uh, it is an inspiration to hear of the good things that you do do. And Mm. uh, the encouragement of course is for people to connect and some people will be drawn to the sorts of things we've been talking about today and uh, the encouragement is to get in touch with Helen uh, secondchances.org.au and if you're not in South Australia you might be in WA or in Queensland or in Victoria, New South Wales or Tasmania uh, or in the ACT or the Northern Territory and you think uh, this sort of thing needs to be happening in my community and no doubt Helen will be full of all sorts of good advice for getting something going and Helen you'd like to connect with people uh, in various states to do these similar sorts of things Absolutely. If that's what the Lord's opening up for us, we'll do it. Okay, secondchances.org.au is the way you would contact Helen Glanville. Helen is the CEO of Second Chances SA. Helen, thanks so much for taking time to share your heart with us today here on 2020. Thank you for inviting me, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.